0: One talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com.
1: VoiceAmerica.com welcomes you to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Now, here's the host and founder of Rack and Roll Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz.
2: That's Cindy Rakowitz with PR Public Relations, Blackman Rakowitz Public Relations. Good morning, everybody. We had a lot of current events. Um, in recent weeks, and we're celebrating a new president that certainly indicates that America is ready to embrace change, and today we have Dr. Sanjita Gipta with us. Good morning, Sanjita. Good morning, Cindy. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm um, well. Thank you, and um Dr. Sanjita Gitta is an expert in cultural competency and communications, and why don't you say the name of your company so our listeners can hear? It's
3: Gupta Consulting Group.
2: Gupta Consulting Group, and let's talk a little bit about um, your experiences, some tips on communicating effectively internationally through cultures, um, through people who think differently, and how you get involved and teach people how to be more effective, aware, and tolerant. I think that it's very timely that we have you on the show.
3: Well, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, What I'd like to say is that the issues that we're going to be talking about today are not just for people who are dealing internationally, because as the U.S. becomes more and more culturally diverse, as we become more multicultural, um, our workplaces are also being impacted and you don't have to leave the U.S. to encounter cultural differences. You might have someone in the cube or the office next to you whose national origin is from another country or another culture, and you're going to encounter those differences right there. Right here in the United States. Right here in the United States. We are probably the most multicultural society in the world.
2: Wow. Well, well, you know, it's the melting pot, as we call ourselves proudly, Right. <laughs>
3: Well, actually, um, it used to be called the melting pot, um, but it no longer is because the melting pot um, implies that we, um, from different parts of the world, people come and they blend into this homogeneous mass called being an American, and most people really wouldn't be able to tell you what being an American means.
2: Is so, that right?
3: What we use now is more of a salad bowl analogy, if you want to keep with the food idea, <laughs> um, which is um, that, you know, we all work together very effectively, but each individual ingredient within the salad maintains its own identity. Um, that's also the idea behind the mosaic.
2: Right, right. So those are the more current terms then, I guess. Exactly. Okay. Well, it exactly. makes sense. I think that it's a rather big salad. It is. Mosaic might be more, you know, might leave room for more um, varieties. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, it's a very, very big salad. It's wonderful, you know, to grow up in, you know, a country where you could recognize so many different cultures and learn about them. I mentioned to you, Panjita, that I grew up in New York City, Queens, New York, which is probably, you know, again, if you go county by county or city by city, it was wonderful. Wonderful because everybody in my grade school classes were represented a different country. Their parents all immigrated here, mm-hmm. and I really got to learn about living with the world in my little classroom. the The interesting part is is when I left New York City, it wasn't as mosaic. <laughs> yes. So, um, you know, I've had to learn that when you grow up in you know, a place that's very mosaic and has so much representation. It was a mini United Nations. It was wonderful. Mm-hmm. But when you when you leave these places of comfort where you're used to dealing with people from different origins and then you move someplace else where it's
3: not as mixed,
2: it can be very challenging.
3: It, it can be. We're, we're very fortunate in Southern California where we live, um, there is quite a bit of cultural diversity. And within, I would say, five to ten miles of where we live, we can have pretty much any cuisine we would like to have. I know, and that's really
2: that's a, another benefit that you know we have in Southern California, and that I miss very much in New York because New York, you got you have really good pizza. <laughs> <laughs> you don't really have the pizza here that you have in New York. That's I know. I'll true. stay away from food analogies. I'm getting really kind of silly. I want to talk more about you and the stuff you know, the kinds of professionalism that you bring to um, people and corporations. Um, one of the things that you and I had discussed when we talked on the phone um, about two weeks ago or three weeks ago was language and workshops and accents in the workplace, and you had some interesting things to say about that. Do you want to share it with our view, our listeners?
3: Sure. Um, I would say hands down communication styles um, are the biggest issue. And communication in general tends to be the biggest issue that I will get called in for. And what basically it amounts to is how do you get your message across so that other people understand what you're saying. So as Americans, we communicate in a very direct manner. We say exactly what we mean. And we expect the listener to hear us and not be offended by this direct style. But what we don't realize is that many other cultures, many, for example, the Asian cultures, Middle Eastern cultures, many of the Latin cultures, they have an indirect style. So when we say exactly what we mean, especially if in the workplace we're getting feedback or we're saying, well, this project isn't going right, you know, what's going on or something, it comes across as being very blunt, very harsh, very insensitive. And we really don't mean for it to come across that way. But what we don't realize um, most of the time is that there's different communication styles in the workplace, and depending on who we're speaking to, we need to adapt our style a little bit so that our real message gets across.
2: Right. And give me an example. Let's, give me an example of how this might take place. I'm, you know, I'm the American, or, you know, there is an American that's asking for something very, very directly, and how would it come across as wrong? or, you know, not connecting?
3: Well, for example, um, if you're managing somebody or you're supervising somebody, you a lot of times have to give feedback. And in our culture here, we tend to give very direct feedback. um, Or if there's an issue that needs to be resolved, we try and resolve it by saying, you know, here's what I'm feeling, this is what I think is going wrong, let's sit down, talk about it, and hammer this out, get it resolved, and, you know, get this off the table. And for us, that feels very normal you know, there's an issue or a problem and we're going to talk about it and resolve it and then we're going to move on. Right. Um, but for people from other cultures, being dealt with in that direct of a manner, it doesn't leave them an opportunity to what we call safe face. So okay. they don't want to be confronted in a very direct manner. So if there's an issue, they would rather you say it in an indirect manner um, a little bit more subtly where they can read between the lines. So instead of saying, you know, this project is way off track, where did it go wrong, let's look at your timeline, let's figure out, you know, who's to blame. Um, they don't want to do that. And what they would rather do is have you say, you know, as in, in a team meeting, say it very indirectly and say something to the effect of, you know, our timeline isn't quite right, um, let's just all sit down and talk about where we are and, you know, the issue of blame or someone, one person taking responsibility for this timeline being off track doesn't come up. No, it's um,
2: it's it's sort of similar to the principles of child psychology for a parent. You can't tell a kid that she's um, she or he are sloppy <laughs> or you know or pigs if they don't clean up their room. Okay, right. that's really going to hurt them, right. and there's going to be resentment. You know, you have to say, you know, um, we have to work on. Some tidying skills—something
3: <laughs> that's not quite so direct, right? Right. And, and we don't realize often how direct our communication style is because we're just used to it. It's the norm for us.
2: It, it really, really is, and I'm sure it's. I, I'm sure people are beginning to realize, or I hope that people in business are beginning to realize that if they're responsible for international business, international business building, international development, it might be a really good idea to bring in somebody like you, Dr. Gipta. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, don't you think? I'm sure that you come into a situation sometimes where you're asked to analyze and it's a little bit too late because projects have been lost.
3: Well, what usually ends up happening, I mean, ideally the best thing to do is bring in somebody like me before you're launching a project or even, as we were saying, working in the United States, not just working internationally, but to la- bring it in, bring someone like me in before and really talk about what are you trying to accomplish and what are some of the issues that may come up and how do you troubleshoot them before they even start. Um, if you've already launched a project, it really is not too late. You can come in. I do this many times clients because I would say the bulk of my clients don't call me beforehand they call me when they really encounter a big issue and then we'll go in we'll do an assessment and we'll troubleshoot from there it can be more effective to do it from the beginning but it doesn't mean that all is lost if you don't do that
2: right no I, 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 I and I think that's a good point it, the awareness factor is probably a step in the right direction and what you do for businesses is, is at the very least you make them aware just by your mere existence in education. <laughs>
3: it, it, the awareness factor is really huge, but unfortunately I would say that most people are still not aware of these issues.
2: Uh, and they're going to really have to start being aware of these issues, and that's why you should give our listeners your website right now.
3: It's called guptaconsulting.com, and that's G U P T A guptaconsulting.com.
2: And um, if anybody that's listening has to encounter international business, you're expanding your territories, you need to have a tutorial on, um, you know, how to do this in the best way, win the business, keep the business. It's really a good idea to, you know, check out the website and definitely talk to Sanjita about this before it gets too late. We're going to have to take a commercial break in a minute, but... I just want to say, coming up, we're going to talk about some fun anecdotes. Um, Sanjita, you told me about the wonderful scene from Charlie Wilson's War, yes. where <laughs> you know um, Charlie Wilson walks into, you know, an an elite Arab um, venue, if I remember correctly, and um, he he rudely asks for a drink, right?
3: Yes, um, he was uh, walking into a meeting in Pakistan with then-President um, Zia and two of his military top military advisors, and he walks into the palace in Islamabad, and when they all sit down, they, you know, offer him a drink, which is very common in many of the Asian cultures. You start out having something to drink or eat first, and he asks for alcohol. And they all look at him just dumbfounded, and it takes him a few minutes to understand and he said, and they said, well, we don't have any alcohol in the presidential palace. And he just looks at them and he says, oh, well, a lot of people make that mistake, I'm sure. And they look back at him and they say, no, not really.
2: Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And it was a funny moment in the movie, actually. It was humorous. But listen, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We're excited to hear more from you. Very topical, Dr. Gupta, very, very topical. So stay tuned and we'll be right back.
1: movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, yachts, parties. At Rack and Roll Productions, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, book releases, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio... Rack and Roll Productions gets the job done whether it's an intimate party or a production with 2,000 people. In fact, you've probably seen and heard our work on the E-Channel, MTV, The Howard Stern Show, or in the pages of numerous newspapers and magazines. Now it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of Rack and Roll Productions. Visit us online at www.rack and roll entertainment.com or call 1 818 597 0700. Community premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio. Rack and roll productions. We do it all. www.rack
0: and When you think about change in your life, do you think about yourself? How does that translate to growth in your business? The change we want to see in our business starts with ourselves as leaders and the impact we can make. Join host Linnea Hagen on a terrific journey that takes you from motivation to inspiration. Every Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time, listen for Abundance Leadership right here on the Voice America Business Network. Abundance Leadership. Grow your business. Grow yourself
4: looking for a good time we've got a show that will give you a wild ride this show will make you feel good and it's not even bad for you you need your time to let loose It's time for a feel-good party. Pull up to the computer, mix yourself a drink, and turn up the speakers. Happy Hour is here. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, it's called the biggest radio show in the world. Hosted by international personality and pundit, Michael DeMarco. You don't know what's coming next. The biggest radio show in the world on Voice America
0: stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com
1: welcome back to stars of pr with cindy r if you have a question or comment call in toll free at 1-866-472-5788 now back to the show here's cindy rakowitz
2: We're back with our cultural competency expert, Dr. Sanjita Gupta. And Sanjita, tell us again the name of your company and the website.
3: It's called Gupta Consulting Group, and it's www.guptaconsulting.com.
2: Okay, remember, everybody should keep that in mind because businesses are growing internationally and it's a really important business development tool to really understand how to approach business situations and communication when you're dealing with cultures that you might not be familiar with. So very, very important. I want to talk a little bit about, since we are talking about um, cultural challenges within the United States, um, why don't you define for me... um, what you call ethnic profiling.
3: Ethnic profiling is, um, if you use it, there's a difference in the police sense and versus, um, for example, using it in a marketing sense. But basically, you're looking at a group and you're saying, these are the characteristics within this group. And um, you're classifying them as a separate group. And you can use that information for different purposes.
2: Right. No, exactly right. And if you give, you know, a particular example, you shared with me an anecdote about yourself, but I don't know if you have another one in terms of a person expecting for you to speak with an Indian accent because you happen to have, you know, you look Indian.
3: Right. Both of my parents are from India, and so naturally I look like my parents do. And for many people it's it's basically called wearing your ethnic heritage or wearing a racial uniform, so I will always look like this, and um, my husband is also of Indian origin. He's a Texan, but his parents are from India. So our children look like us. So down the generations, unless our children marry outside the Indian culture, they're going to continue to look "quote unquote" Indian, even though born and raised here, several generations, etc. So a lot of times, I will have people, um, you know, thinking that they're complimenting me by after they've given a talk or if they're just speaking with me, saying something like, wow, your English is really good. And, you know, expecting that I'm going to be very flattered. And why would I be? Because I grew up here. This is my primary language. Uh, I do speak other languages, um, but that's more for academic purposes. But um, English is my primary language.
2: Now, it, it's uh, it's very interesting. And, you know, your, the example of how a person might have misconstrued the way that you may speak I would imagine happens a hundredfold in the workplace.
3: It happens a hundredfold, uh, absolutely, in the workplace. It also happens with other groups. We had a, a diversity and cross-cultural leadership conference that I co-chair last week in Southern California, and our speaker, our keynote speaker, she's of African American heritage, and she was talking about how people compliment her and say that, "Wow, you're so articulate," <laughs> which, which is something that I've heard from many. African-American professionals, and it really, if you, if you step back on the surface, it sounds like you're paying a compliment, and probably in your mind, you think you are paying a compliment, but if you really just step back and think about, well, what am I saying? What am, am I saying that because she's African-American or because I look Indian, I should not be able to speak English properly? Uh, Um, You know, it comes back to what does an American look like? What does an American sound like? It comes back to all of those issues.
2: You know, it certainly does. I don't know if you read the Los Angeles Times yesterday, but there was a very interesting article about how African Americans are, you know, usually approached um, in the world before Barack Obama and the world after Barack Obama. And it was just very, very interesting. Um, I, I don't have the article in front of me, but there was a professor, an African-American professor from USC. And um, every time he flies in business class, people say to him, um, what do you do in the music industry? Wow. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that there's going to be a lot of reflection and um, a lot of, you know, and pontification and debate about are African Americans going to be seen differently because we have Barack Obama nominated as, you know, Mm president-elect. And, you know, some of the pundits were saying that Um, there are certain people like Barack Obama and Michael Jordan and certain people of a celebrity element that aren't really seen as black or white. They're just seen as Barack Obama or Michael Jordan. Right. But is that going to, the question is, and this is an academic question and, you know, a psychological question and an educational question, is, you know, are people going to get, Beyond that, I mean, you know, will every African American um, be able to get to a level where they are themselves and not an African American? I-, I think that's going to be tough, but that's the question.
3: You know, I would hope so. That is my hope. It's it's very interesting with this election. I've been speaking to many, many people, and hands down, everybody says that this is probably one of the most interesting elections of their lifetime, and also that they are much more engaged in this or were engaged in this election than they have been in any previous election. And I think it's it's these conversations that have started. You know, who really is an American and what um, does privilege have a color? So is it only certain groups that are privileged over other groups? And then we also have to look at what are our stereotypes about other groups of people? And are those really valid? And do we want to continue thinking this way or do we need to now start thinking of other groups in different ways.
2: Well, I think one of the things that you and I had briefly discussed is the fact that there's going to be so much more of a need for your services today, um, and your academic background and help in terms of you know talking these issues out in the United States of America. And, you know, this comes from, you know, my reading of the New York Times. I'm sort of addicted to it, so I get addicted to their analysis of things. I think that they, you know, the New York Times is a newspaper that always seems to ask the right questions and, you know, research for the right answers and opinions and views. And, you know, I think that, you know, one of the things that I'm comparing this cultural event to in terms of case studies You know, from a current events and public relations point of view, is you remember what happened with Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill in the 90s. And for my listeners that don't remember, it really brought sexual harassment to the forefront of, you know, conversations, dinner table discussions, and certainly awareness in the workplace um, because of an inappropriate. Um, thing that Clarence Thomas allegedly said to Anita Hill about you know mentioning pubic hair or something I don't know <laughs> at least that's how the at least that's how it goes down in history right so um, exactly you know I think that um, these kinds of tolerance conversations or educational programs are probably going to have to become more popular in the workplace because in the United States of America there may be a lot of people that you know, need to learn a little bit more about tolerance and having Barack when we have Barack Obama for president. Don't you agree with that to some degree?
3: I do. I think I think what the climate of our country is is going to change because these conversations are taking place, excuse me, not only on the dinner table. At the dinner table, they're taking place in offices. They're taking place in all different areas of, of the daily lives that we interact in. They're taking place in schools, Um and I really think it's, it's long overdue. And I think we're going to see a much more inclusive environment. So it, it goes beyond tolerating another group of people. It really goes to understanding uh, other groups of people and finding ways to include them, to create an inclusive environment where everybody feels included and respected. You know, people are, are several generations living in the United States, but as like me, they wear their ethnic heritage that doesn't make us any less American than somebody who looks Euro-American. You know, we all love this country. We all have ideas about how to raise, raise our children. We all want to raise our children in an environment where they're going to feel included. And so I think this election, I really think it's going to have tremendous social impact as well.
2: And I think all well, for the better. We, You know, we all discussed, and my listeners certainly know that, I personally was a big Barack Obama supporter, you know, sort of radical about it. (laughs) um, You know, again, and I think that all in all, the repercussions for the United States are going to be tremendously positive, tremendously positive. Um, But it takes bridges to build before you get, you know, before everybody can get to that positive place. And that's where I think that, um, your services are going to become, you know, very, very important, relevant, and needed in the United States on a public sector level and a private sector level. So good for you! I think that you're going to get a lot of business in the next four to eight years.
3: Well, it's interesting. I've already seen an increase. we're getting, um, you know, even with this economic uh, crisis, et cetera, that we're having, we're getting a lot more phone calls and email inquiries about how we can make, you know, how companies can make their environments more inclusive and they can really uh, understand other cultures. And I think there's just been a tremendous increase in awareness already.
2: I think that's true. Well, listen, in the next two segments, and God, you are just, you know, full of information and really entertaining, and we really appreciate that. Um, We're going to have to take another commercial break in a minute. I just want to talk about some of the things that we could look forward to in the next couple of segments with the doctor, the cultural doctor. Um, Fun fact, 25% of Americans don't have a passport. Remember you told me that fun fact.
3: No, actually, it's 25% of Americans have a passport. 75% of Americans do not have a passport. Even more alarming. (laughs) That was really scary to me and you also said that
2: President George Bush did not get a passport until he actually was inaugurated?
3: Yes, until he became president.
2: That is really kind of scary, isn't it? <laughs> you
3: know, to me it is because I traveled a lot even as a child my parents took us um all over the world and then as an undergraduate I studied a semester in in Spain and traveled all over Europe as a 20-year-old, and it was just a very fascinating, enlightening experience, and I think made me so much more aware of the world we all live in. It's not just, you know, our county or our state or our country. We truly are a global village these days, and, you know, we have to increase our awareness.
2: Absolutely. Well, listen, we have to take that commercial break right now, and we'll be right back more with Dr. Sanjita Gupta in just,
1: Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, yachts, parties, festivals. At Rack and Roll Productions, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, book releases, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio... Rack and Roll Productions gets the job done whether it's an intimate party or a production with 2,000 people. In fact, you've probably seen and heard our work on the E-Channel, MTV, The Howard Stern Show, or in the pages of numerous newspapers and magazines. Now it's time for us to assist you. Saleability into profitability with the help of Rack and Roll Productions. Visit us online at www.rack and roll entertainment.com or call 1 818 597 0700. premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio. Rack and Roll Productions, we do it all. www.rack and roll
4: every Monday at 1 p.m. PST right here on the Voice America channel.
0: Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com
1: Cindy Rakowitz has won more awards than she can hang on her wall, including three Clios. Call in now at 1-866-472-5788 and you can have one. Okay, maybe not, but she will answer your questions. Now back to Stars of PR with Cindy R.
2: We're back, Cindy Rakowitz, Blackman Rakowitz, Public Relations, and we're having a fascinating conversation with Dr. Sanjita Gupta. Um, Cultural communication, cultural education, culture... Cultural diversity, cultural cultural diversity in the United States, the workplace, etc. And we were talking about some fun facts before we took a break, and we talked about I I was corrected by the doctor. It's 75% of Americans do not have a passport. 75% of Americans don't have a passport. President Bush did not have his passport until he. you know, became inaugurated as the President of the United States, Um, probably why he wasn't as worldly (laughs) as we would have liked him to have been. (laughs) Right, Sandita? Yes. (laughs) Um, Did you see the movie W?
3: I have not. I actually want to see that.
2: You know what? You would really, really enjoy it. Like Charlie Wilson's War, there's a lot of um, anecdotes in the movie that Oliver Stone you know, explores just with such talent and, you know, with sarcasm in terms of, you know, examining why things sort of went awry in Iraq and, um, you know, the, the cultural knowledge really stopped inside of the Oval Office. And, you know, this was Oliver Stone's research and execution, so, um, but it was very, very humorous and, um, you know, whereas, you know, President Bush was portrayed as really not knowing much in terms of international relations, really letting down his father in that area, and Oliver Stone really gets into that, but how the cluelessness really um, led to some major mistakes in retrospect for in representing our country in a military sense. So it could get really scary, can't it?
3: Yes, and I, and I would agree with that. Um, I think we need to have so much more knowledge about the rest of the world. And what's really interesting, Cindy, is that the rest of the world is already there. They have been studying the United States history, the political structure. They know so much more about us. And I'm talking about you know kids in high school. They learned this in high school. This is part of their normal curriculum, whereas when I went to high school, You know, at the most, I may have a week on world history or two weeks or something like that. It was not really something that was taught to us. And I would go visit my cousins in India, and I would be amazed at what they were learning. And this was, you know, a number of years ago. So you can only imagine that today, the kids today are so much more in around the world to what's happening in the globe than our kids are here today. And that's the future workforce of the world.
2: Right, I think that you and I have had conversations about that. It's, um, you know, you have to be on the same playing field. And, you know, what's going to happen, and this can be prevented with better education here in the United States, mm-hmm. is we're going to find a lot of internationals taking the jobs that, you know, we would like to have in our country. But it's not a matter of, there's no reason to be angry, really. It's the best person that's qualified for a job. That's business.
3: Well, it's business, and then in a very practical sense, as you said, it's the person who's best qualified for the job, but instead of sitting and complaining about it, you know, we're Americans. We take action. We do what needs to be done. Um, I say let's figure out a way that we can also play on equal playing, you know, in, in an equal playing field, and we can make ourselves as attractive as other countries, You know, this situation is here to stay. We can do one of two things. We can either sit back and complain about it and do nothing, or we can say, hey, you know what, we're going to get back in the game because we're Americans, we have a lot to offer the world, and we're going to make sure the world knows about it. So we have one of two ways we can go, and I vote for the latter.
2: No, and I agree with you, too, and you could be a very big part of building that bridge.
3: And that's what we try and do. I mean, that's what you know. The analogy you're you're making is is exactly what we try and do in our business. is It's not a matter of we're better than they are or they're better than us. It's a matter of let's bridge the gap here and let's figure out a way for all of us to work together for everybody's benefit
2: it's it's very true i met you know i always meet people on planes i i'm sure you do too we mm-hmm. meet very interesting people on planes and i met somebody on my way up to portland who worked for one of the big you know microsoft kind of companies and you know he he was in a very senior level engineering position and um he he told me that you know he feels bad when he goes to job fairs and he's hiring internationals because he's an American and he would really like to have more Americans on his team. But he's saddened by the fact that when he goes out and interviews people, it's you know, the people who have been you know, better educated, okay, um, more worldly, speak more languages, um, more thorough in their engineering skills in terms of computer programs, Mm-hmm. that he has no choice but to hire, because that's his responsibility. And he was very saddened by it. He had just come back from, um, you know, an engineering and computer technology convention in Pasadena. And that's why he was flying out of Burbank with me and back to Portland. And um, he was really saddened by it, Sanjita. It was, you know, i got to do what's best for my division and my company, but, mm-hmm. you know, the, the people, the Americans just, do not hold a candle to the people who are coming and applying from overseas?
3: The educational systems in many countries um, around the world are much, much better than ours. We just don't have that same focus. But you'll see, what's interesting is you'll see it among many of the minority communities in the United States where education is a huge focus for the family and it's really drummed into the children that you've got to be educated in order to succeed it's not just about graduating from high school it's you know the college is assumed that the children will absolutely go to college and maybe even graduate school and if you look at the studies that are done you know earning capacity um compared to you know different educational levels it's it's astounding and you really see that correlation that the more education you get the higher of a salary you will command in the workplace.
2: And, you know, maybe perhaps during this economic crisis, people can find a way to become more educated. Yes, I know that there's a cost for education, but um, it might be a really good investment <laughs> if you're laid off of your
3: job. Well, what's really interesting is that the ability to be culturally savvy is one of the most valued skills. They did a study, PricewaterhouseCoopers did a study, and they found that 60% of CEOs from outside the United States endorsed a statement that basically said that having the ability to lead a multicultural team and work with different cultures is the most highly valued skill, much more than a degree from a top MBA school. So it's not just about having academic uh, smarts, it's also about the ability to work with different groups of people and really maximize the potential of that group of people.
2: Oh, that's absolutely true. Well, let's talk. I know that your company does provide seminars and webinars, if I remember correctly, yes? Yes. Okay, so how can a person tap into those?
3: Well, if you go to our website um, or call our office, one of the first things we will do is sit down and talk with you about your situation. We don't do a canned program. It's not a one-size-fits-all solution. So we work with a company to um, customize a strategy that works for them, and it can include a variety of solutions. So let's say company X comes to me and they say, we're having these these and this issue, and they list a bunch of issues. We'll work with them and we'll say, okay, here are our recommendations, and we'll come in, we'll evaluate their company, and we'll then we'll give them a report and we'll say, here are the three things or five things that you can be doing. Some of them may include training. Some of them may be very low-cost or um, no-cost solutions. So it's not always something that's going to cost your company a great deal of money. But it is something that's going to put you on the right path.
2: I think. It's, I mean, at this time, I'm constantly looking for what I call recession busters. Yes. Um, you know, it's, I want to. I feel a responsibility to share with my listeners recession busting concepts and you know solutions and you know tips on how to cope through the economic crisis because it's Darwinian. If we ride it through, we will survive. It's just mm-hmm. very it's It's primitively scientific, and uh you know, so I'm constantly trying to give recession busting tips to help people get through it and better themselves. How do you take um an economic crisis? How do you not only survive through that time but find ways to improve your skills so that you could find alternatives and I think that cultural education intercultural education is You know, probably one of the things on my top ten list that a person can do during this time to improve themselves for when the economy settles down a little bit.
3: You know, I would agree with that because you can improve your skills with a little bit of time investment and a small monetary investment and really, as you said, prepare yourself because it's not just a matter of getting through the situation, but as you said, it's a matter of what can we do to be proactive so that once the situation improves, we're ready to go because we've we've been working on these skills all along. All right. So I, I don't think you can wait until this is over to then start thinking about it.
2: Well, it's not going to be over for a while, probably.
3: Probably not.
2: So it's um, you know the the people who will it's it, it survival of the fittest, and you know there are there are always ways to conquer you know a very steep ski slope. Yes. <laughs> You know, okay, I'm not using food analogies anymore. You see, I'm using, now I'm using nature analogies, okay? I'm diverse in my analogies. I don't want to get boring with metaphors, but it's, it's, it's true, really. I mean, there's storms. You know, a sailor will navigate seas, and, you know, the ones, they're better people when they get through it, and sometimes you don't really know when you're going to get through it. You know, measurement isn't always accurate when you're dealing with an unanticipated event.
3: Exactly, and I think what's really interesting is not just um, learning skills on how to deal with other cultures, but one of the things that we're finding is that we're getting calls from companies who want to learn how to manage uh, better manage as their multicultural population. So. This really hasn't affected, this economic slowdown has not really affected our business because people are saying, we have really good people internally. We want to keep them. We want to create an environment that works better for us, and we want to increase the productivity of the employees we have. And one of the ways to do that is make them happier at work and make them feel more included and really tap into their potential
2: Well, listen, what we can do, we are at the end of this segment. I told you that it goes really fast. I don't know. Doesn't it go really fast? Yes, it does. But I want to talk more about that in terms of keeping great employees and some of the programs that you suggest to corporations to assist them in making that happen through some of your programs. So stay tuned with Dr. Sanjita Gupta. We will be right back, and you'll hear the answers. Stay tuned.
0: Movie premieres,
1: TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, yachts, parties, festivals. At Rack and Roll Productions, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, book releases, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio. Rack and Roll Productions gets the job done whether it's an intimate party or a production with 2,000 people. In fact, you've probably seen and heard our work on the E-Channel, MTV, The Howard Stern Show, or in the pages of numerous newspapers and magazines. Now it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of Rack and Roll Productions. Visit us online at www.rack and roll entertainment.com or call 1 818 597 0700. Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio. Rack and Roll Productions, we do it all. www.rackandrollentertainment.com. and
0: Real Talk with Marcy Mason. A refreshing and charming talk radio show for all of you entertainment enthusiasts. Whether you're stargazing on Hollywood Boulevard or in the stands cheering for your favorite team, Real Talk is here to satisfy the curiosity of the dedicated lifestyle and entertainment enthusiasts by giving everyday people the information they crave about what's going on in their communities and the world around them. Don't miss Real Talk with Marcy Mason. Broadcasting live every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific 8 p.m. Eastern on The Voice America Channel. Did you do your homework today? Relationship Homework is a program about working with others in the home and in the workplace. Relationships with others are vital in getting work done. You'll learn guidance and reclaim the power to expand your capacity to take effective action in your relationships at home and at work. Each program will include a weekly homework assignment to take back and implement over the following week. Join host Udo Deolio for Relationship Homework every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com
1: Get free advice from crisis communications guru Cindy Rakowitz now. Call in toll free at 1-866-472-5788. Now let's get back to more stars of PR. Here's your host and founder of Rack and Roll Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz.
2: That's Cindy Rakowitz, founder of Blackman rakowitz Public Relations, and we are back talking about cultural education, um, crossing bridges to understand different cultures, educating people in the workplace to keep employees from all cultures. And this is our last segment with Dr. Sanjita Gupta. Welcome back. Thank you, Cindy. And um, there's, a, there's a number of different things that we had spoken about um, also, in terms of things that are different in the workplace um, and which requires education and tolerance, for example, um, food odors is one of the things that we spoke about there's there 's personal hygiene as well, but can you give us some examples
3: Well, these are actually believe it or not issues that you know we get called in for, so we had a client um, They called us in for a couple of issues, and one of them was um, employees were complaining about food odors because people from different ethnic backgrounds were bringing food in and heating it up in the microwave, and the aroma would go throughout the office, and some of the people found the aroma offensive. And so we were brought in to try and help Uh, mitigate the situation, (laughs) find a solution that pretty much, you know, would make everybody happy. And one of the things we did was just, you know, have a focus group and really talk about, um, you know, what is food odor, what is offensive, what is not offensive, because some things could be offensive to one group of people and other things could be offensive to another group of people. And where do you draw the line?
2: And, And give us an example.
3: Well, for example, if someone is vegetarian, they may find the smell of meat offensive. Um, popcorn has a very strong aroma. Some people may find that offensive.
2: Right. We might, you know, we here in the United States might love the smell of popcorn, but I'm sure that it's probably not a pleasant smell to others. Am I correct?
3: Well, it's not so much that it's a pleasant or not pleasant smell, but it's a strong smell. So it could go either way for a group of people. So I think the basic thing is that everybody thinks their food smells fine, but other people may not find it quite so pleasant as smell. Pleasant. So it's a matter of really becoming aware and really understanding that different foods have different smells and that your standard may not be the standard across the world and certainly across your office.
2: No, right. No, that's exactly right. I think the popcorn example is a great example because, again, you know, the Americans, you know, it's a familiar smell to us. It is.
3: And it's, a, it's, I mean, I love the smell of popcorn. Bagels, is a, it's a
2: familiar smell to
3: us. Mm-hmm. There's, yeah. there's a lot of things for us are just familiar smells and you walk into a house and you smell something and you go, wow, you know, they're making this or that. And for us, it's very soothing. It, we like it. But that doesn't mean it's going to smell that way for somebody else. And I think... The basic idea behind all of this is understanding that one standard does not apply across the board.
2: Oh, I think that's really true. It's, it's very true, and that goes for personal hygiene as well, doesn't it?
3: You know, it, it does. Now, here I have a slightly different um, take on it because I think you need to really adapt yourself to the country that you're living in. And many cultures, they do bathe every day, but they don't use deodorant. And for us, that's a must. And we find the smell of, of body odor very offensive, where for other people, it's very natural. And, however, if you're working on a U.S. team, um, I strongly recommend that you use deodorant. Because you want to make... It's, it's. Here's the thing, Cindy, is that it's not just for the Americans to create an environment of inclusion, but you also coming from another culture or from a different belief system, you also have to work towards creating that inclusive environment. So it's an effort from both sides.
2: No, I, I would understand that. And I think that, again, it's the food odor and the hygiene um, really goes hand in hand. It's really a matter of what people are accustomed to. Exactly. And, um, you know, it's we, we get so myopic. I mean, you know, and that's I'm sure that you have to talk about that a lot in terms of people's they have to stop thinking about their own belief systems and how they grew up and how they were taught because <laughs> people on the other side of the ocean were taught very differently and are familiar with very different things so um it 's so subtle but it 's so important it 's really important yeah it's some um, a lot of other funny stories when you talk about um incidents that happen internationally from, you know, Westerners who are not really familiar with cultures. You told me about a hat incident in China. Oh, yes.
3: Yes. So I have a client who's a um, wine producer, and they wanted to increase, um, they wanted to tap into the Chinese market because the Chinese market for wine is just exploding. And so they wanted to be part of that. And so they planned this huge promotion event where they had green hats for the men and they had pink hats for the ladies. And they were really surprised because none of the men seemed to want the green hats. They kept asking if they could take a pink hat. What they didn't know, and they found out later, um, and a very expensive lesson it was, was that in China a man wears a green hat when his wife is having an affair. It's terrible. It's not something that most men are going to want to wear. (laughs) Um, And what it really did was it, it... You know, their launch, which they spent a tremendous amount of money. I mean, you know how expensive it is to do something like that. It was a failure. And not only was that a failure, but their branding within the country was a failure. And their first impression was really not what they wanted it to be. So I would say not. (laughs) Exactly. So all the way around, it was a huge loss for them. Something very simple, you know, that's, you know, a call to our office, um could really have helped them with something like that. And it's a very simple thing, but it ended up costing them a lot. And there's so many examples of companies that have, you know, made missteps that a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of prior uh, conversation with, with, with someone like myself would have eliminated that, that risk for them.
2: And it was a big risk. I mean, that is such a, you know, it's such a, an embarrassing situation and you know i think when we're doing business with people internationally we have to do a little bit of research
3: <laughs> well, it's not and again it's not just doing business internationally but it's also within the united states Oh, no, you're
2: right about that you know, absolutely companies that
3: are trying to tap into let's say a specific ethnic group so we get calls i got a call recently from a tech company um back on the east coast and they said you know we really want to tap into the Asian Indians, so people who are from India, uh, we want to tap into that market. But when we're approaching, we're not the way we're approaching, we're not getting our message across. What can we be doing differently? So the ethnic market within the United States is a huge, huge potential for companies. And But the thing is, what they're doing so many times is they just take their message in English, and they translate it into that language or they take the way they're approaching the Euro-American population and they just do the exact same thing, the exact same message for this ethnic population, and it doesn't work.
2: No bridge. There's no (laughs) bridge. (laughs) No
3: bridge, no cultural knowledge, and how do we really approach this population in the way that is most effective?
2: That's very true. Um, Also, one thing that I wanted to bring up that was important is tone of voice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you gave me the example of how the tones of voice tone is different in the Arabic culture, and why don't you give us an example of that?
3: Well, we just the way up. that you speak, um, you know, we in the United States um, have, as I said earlier, we have a very direct way of communicating. In a lot of other countries, it's a more respectful tone, it's it's a quieter tone, uh, a more modulated tone, even something like the words that you use, the language that you use um, is very different. And it's more about relationship building than it is about getting the deal done. We're very task-oriented in the United States. So we go into a meeting and we, you know, hey, how are you? And we sit down and we get right down to business. You don't do business with other cultures that way or with other ethnic markets in the United States that way. And what you want to do is work on developing a relationship and getting to know them. So you'll be expected to sit down, have a cup of tea or coffee, uh, share a little bit about yourself and your background, you know, where you went to school, these type of things. They want to know who you are as a person before they think about doing business with you.
2: Well, listen, our show has come to an end. You've been very informative and educational. Give us your website one more time.
3: It's called guptaconsulting.com, and I'd like to say we have a, um, a quick guide a series of qu- uh, books that we have put out for the busy professional and the first is called The Quick Guide to Cultural Competency and it was featured on Forbes.com and it's available on our website and I'd also like to say the proceeds from the sale on our website go to a children's literacy program.
2: Very good. Well, thank you for taking so much time with us and educating my listeners and you
3: have a great day. Thanks again. Thank you for having me, Cindy. It was my it was pleasure. pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye.
1: Thank you for listening to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Please come back next and every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific time for more insider information on the world of public relations with Cindy Rakowitz on Stars of PR. We'll see you next
0: week. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com